Good morning. My name is Ross Weaver, and I am a fifth year here. I was introduced to meditation about three years ago by a friend that I met here at, at Goshen. And I started learning about meditation and practicing it bit by bit at a time in my life when I was very discontent and unhappy with a lot of things. I had uh, found myself looking for just about any escape that I could find rather than uh, dealing with and confronting the reality of the situation that I was in. Uh, through meditation, um, slowly started to learn to accept things more the way they are rather than how I want them to be. And this is a constantly unfolding process and always learning, but uh, it's been really helpful for me to have more of a framework to learn to deal with, um, you know, whatever gets thrown at me in life. So this last summer, I had a chance to go to a meditation retreat in Illinois. And while I was there, I met uh, Saniatha, who will be speaking first here. He is um, a Buddhist monk that, from Sri Lanka that uh, arrived in the States about four years ago. And he lives in the Chicago area where he works full time, goes to college, and also le teaches meditation. So he's a pretty busy guy like a lot of us. <laughs> so he's going to um, just tell us some about uh, Buddhist meditation. And then uh, Ann Hostetler will follow by speaking a little bit about um, meditation within the Christian tradition, and uh, maybe do a little bit of guided meditation. So please welcome San. Thank you very much, Ros. Um, and first of all, I want to uh, give my uh, Thanks to the Convocation Committee and Becky uh, giving me, for giving me this opportunity. And uh, well, they want to talk about uh, myself a little bit, uh, because maybe sometimes you haven't seen a Buddhist monk before. So well, this is how I look like a typical Buddhist monk. Uh, I'm from Sri Lanka. and. I have been a monk for almost 17 years now. So I became a monk when I was 11. So it's a choice that you make, and it's very uh, typical in Sri Lanka at that age to go to a monastery and to become a monk. So, well, first of all, you have to get your parents' permission. So I went to my mom, and I said I wanted to become a monk. And she didn't like it. So I had to keep push her until I get the permission. Because without permission, you can't become a monk. So when I went to the monastery, and then you have to go through a lot of things. You have to memorize things, and you have to learn a lot of things. So I was at the monastery, I think, 12 years, and I studied certain languages and Buddhist teachings and uh, 
I practiced meditation, and then I moved to uh, Michigan to help one of my brother monks because he was very sick at that time. So then I start to work with the local community here, and it's really inspired me because people who are here not born Buddhists. So when you teach them meditation, and they really understand what it means, and they really grasp the concept, and they get benefits from it. So I was talking to this uh, one lady that who comes to our practice, I think seven months. So she told me that her story, and she had a severe depression, and her son died like a year ago, and he was a young man, very um, talented. But he uh, got involved with drugs, and then he committed uh, suicide himself. So this mom went through a lot of difficult times, and finally she couldn't handle her stress that um, she was going through a lot of uh, emotional things, and then she came to our practice. She practiced with us, with us seven months, and after that I heard that she completely stopped taking her antidepressant medications. She has been taking those for seven years. So there are a lot of stories that I hear people who I teach, people who I work with. So I'm here to I'm here today to talk about the Buddhist meditation. So I want to give you, uh, I don't want to give you a, a academic level lesson, but I want to tell you something practical. Because practicing meditation doesn't take you to hell. I want to clear about this because people are really afraid about these things because we have our own beliefs. And I respect my beliefs, and I love my beliefs, and you all love your beliefs, and you respect all beliefs, your beliefs. So that meditation is something I think people mis have misunderstood. So the word for meditation in Buddhist tradition is bhavana. Remember this word, bhavana. So bhavana means that you can develop your mind. So it's the, the verb is bhaveti. You can develop your mind. Well, we all got a mind, right? Do we all have a mind? 
Yeah, is it Christian? Is it Buddhist? My mind is not Buddhist. So in order to practice meditation, you don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Muslim. So we all can train our mind. So that's what Buddha found. So he was a very young man and who had all the pleasures, all the worldly things that a man could have. He's a royal, he's from a royal family. He was a king. And he let go of everything and he found this great method that you can achieve the greatest happiness in your life. So we all have something in common when we think about our lives. We all are running toward a same goal. Maybe you have a goal to be a doctor. Maybe you can have a goal to be an engineer. Maybe you have a goal to be a teacher. Whatever your goal is, as a monk, I have a goal. Doing all these things, what we want to achieve is something that very common to everybody. That's called happiness. I like to put it in quote. I like that when you do it in, um, in here, uh, when I watch uh, television, I love when they do that quote. <laughs> so I like to use that, happiness. So we have something in common. We all are looking for this happiness. Guess what? I'm from a third world country. And when it's come to Sri Lanka, materials that we have over there is very minimum. And we don't have a lot of comforts. But here, you have a lot of opportunities, and you have a lot of material things that a person can make happy. And I went to this house um, last week, a friend of ours house, and so they were showing around this house, and so she took me to her bed, uh, master bedroom, and she showed her bed. I, have, I haven't ever seen a bed like that in my entire life. And I asked her, do you sleep there? <laughs> because it's well organized, and I thought nobody sleep there. And I haven't seen. I still sleep on the floor here in America. So happiness is not something that we can have having all these type of materials. And I see there are a lot of people have all these things. They have good families. They have uh, really luxurious cars. They have big houses. And they have everything. But they are missing something. They are missing happiness in their lives. So we work on, we do everything to 
have this happiness, to be happy in our lives. But finally, that's what we are missing in our life. Because people, I think, don't understand how to be happy. So the Buddhist meditation, Buddhist practice, teach you to how to be happy in your life with what you have. So basically, we have to do it by developing, cultivating, training our mind. So, how many people have meditated? Okay. Well, few people have done it. And maybe some people think you don't want to do it. And some people are here for different reasons. And uh, some people are here out of curious, curiosity. So, it's something that we think very simple. And people think it's something, oh, you just have to sit somewhere and close your eyes. And it's pretty simple, right? But I'm going to show you, end of this talk, it's not that simple. And it's something that you have to work on. It's something that you have to really put your effort and happiness is not something that just come to you. It's just something that you have to work on. That's something you have to achieve. So the Buddha's uh, teachings in Buddhist meditation, this is the goal of doing meditation. I don't like, actually, I don't like the word meditation. I like to call it practice, or I like to call it um, developing your mind. So I don't know what comes to your mind. Can you give me an honest answer? What it means when you hear the word meditation? What it means to you? What it means to you? Because you are native people, so you have kind of an idea when you say the word meditation, what it means? Focus? Reflecting? Quiet down? Well, those are great answers, I have to tell you. But I don't know, there is something wrong with this, this word, because people think doing meditation, that you can be cool. It's not something that you can do all these miracle things. It's not about doing miracles. Meditation is something that, that doing miracles in your life. The miracle is that you can do to your life is that it changes your life gradually, but it takes a while. And you have to put some effort into it. And when you do that, you find on your way to be happy in your life. So meditation is very wide, broader than you think. So 
but at the same time, it's very simple because people think, well, I don't have time to meditate. We all have a busy schedule, right? We all are busy. And if that's something, a word that we often use. My mom doesn't know English, but she knows busy. <laughs> yeah, she's always busy. So that's a word that we always use, that something we, something, sometimes we don't realize uh, even what, is, what it means. And so we have a very busy schedules, and I only sleep three days a week. And I have a busy schedule. Well, somebody might think, I can't find a time to sit down and meditate. Can you take 10 minutes per day for yourself and reflect yourself and understand yourself and to recognize who you are, understand what's going on with your mind. So this is what the meditation is all about. It's understanding yourself, realizing who you are. So can, if you can make that commitment, that 10 minutes, that's all you need, you can change your life. You can have strong relationships in, in your life. And you can have a peaceful, a happy life. So that's all we need. And people don't take that 10 minutes. And we all have what we, instead of what we do, when we have unhappy thought, when we have a uh, dissatisfaction, uh, you know, ideas that what we do, we distracted our mind. Okay, let's say, for example, you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and it really bothers you. It's really frustrating. You have this enormous anger towards this person. What we usually do? Do we sit down and meditate? Do we try to understand it? Instead of doing that, what we do? We just distract that thought from another thought. Maybe you go with your friends to have a drink. Well, good way to forget that. Maybe you go to watch a movie. You just distract that thought instead of understanding it. So in Buddhist meditation, it tells you, don't distract those thoughts. Just give it some time and observe your thoughts. Realize, understand, be mindful what's going on with your mind. So basically, the Buddhist meditation is changing your, your regular behavior patterns. So we have a way of reacting things. When we get anger, we punch somebody. Or we throw things out. And we just argue with people. And when we get frustrated, there are certain things that we do in our lives. We react certain way that we react to things. 
So in Buddhist meditation, we just break these habit patterns. How you break it? Being mindful. So to be mindful, you have to train your mind. To train your mind, you have to take that 10 minutes. That's all I'm asking. If you want to take this message today, well, you don't have to label yourself. I am a meditator. You don't have to say that I'm a Buddhist. You don't have to say I'm a Christian. Just take that 10 minutes. And before you go to bed, and I'm going to show you how to do it. And just try that 10 minutes. And when you do it gradually, you will see how it changes your life. And, um, well, that's what Buddhist meditation is. So, do you want to try it now? Sure? Okay. Please sit with a comfortable position, keeping your back straight. Please close your eyes gently. Take a few deep breaths. Breathe in deeply. Breathe out softly. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Now take a couple minutes and observe yourself. Understand how do you feel today? Don't try to be judgmental, just understand the way you feel.
observe your body from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Be relaxed. Be comfortable with it. Now slowly bring your attention on your breath. Breathe in mindfully. Breathe out mindfully. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Just, just focus on your natural breath. Don't try to force on it. Understand how your mind gets distracted from many different things, from on your thoughts, from different sounds. Every time when it's away from your breath, come back to breath, come back to the present moment.
understand how your mind works. It's always running around, wandering away. It's always running towards the future experience, future expectations and past experiences. What you want to do is be in the moment, right here and now. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. May peace be with you. May you be well, happy and peaceful. Thank you very much. You may open eyes. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Son. And thank you, Ross, for sharing your friend and your practice um, with us. Um, I'm very happy to see meditation as a subject of a convocation at Goshen College because I think it can do so much for all of us, especially at this really stressful time of the semester when we think we're looking forward to Thanksgiving, but we know all those final papers and uh, tests and things are coming up too. Uh, my name is Anne Hostetler. I teach in the English department. And I was asked to talk to you a little bit um, today about meditation in the Christian context. And I am going to honor your time. I won't keep you any longer um, than 1140. Um, but if you would like to follow up on this um, at some later time with me, if you're interested in having a group um, talk about meditation here at Goshen College, I'd be very interested. And um, you can email me, okay? That's A-N-N-E-H at goshen.edu. First, um, I thought maybe I'd just say a couple of words about how I got interested in meditation. Um, it's really been a gradual journey for me. I think in my teenage years, I read Thomas Merton and Simone Weil and other spiritual writers. I was very interested in reading and writing poetry, which is something that I still do. And in my own Christian life, sort of after the, the various um, phases of conversion experience um, wore off into ordinary time, um, that's a whole other talk that we could do, um, I had a lot of questions about prayer. And it seemed to me that most of the prayers I had experienced were talking to God. But I realized that if I was always talking, I couldn't really hear what God might be saying back. <laughs> so I longed for this call that Samuel had when he heard the Lord calling his name. But at the same time, I kind of feared it. You know, I'd say, 
here I am, but then what would I need to do? I think we also, in our culture, we have this great fear of aloneness and being alone with ourselves, being alone with our thoughts. And I encountered this idea of transcendental meditation when I was in college, uh, TM, they called it, as back in the 1970s. And it seemed interesting to me, but a little scary too. And I think for me, coming from the Christian tradition to meditation, it seemed like um, you, know, you would empty your mind and it would be like the parable that Jesus told about the man who was cured of a demon and then his mind was empty, so the demon brought back seven of his friends and they had a big party in his head. And um, so that, that whole idea of emptiness was a little bit scary to me at that time. Um, another moment for me on my meditation journey was when I was in my 30s, I was living in Germantown in Philadelphia. And uh, there was a lot of controversy in our church at the time over homosexuality and other issues that were uh, where people had many different sides and it began to feel really divisive and church didn't feel at all worshipful to me. So I decided to go down the block to the old Germantown Friends meeting and join the Quaker silent worship and just sit, just sit with my, th my thoughts and my feelings in the silence. I was a little afraid of it because I'm an active person, I'm busy, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen if I have to sit there for a whole hour. I thought I just might die of boredom. Um, but it actually turned out to be this amazing experience, especially sitting with other people. And you might have experienced a little bit of that right now, do, doing the meditation exercise with San. You're alone, but you're with the support of other people doing it at the same time. It's really wonderful. We think Another misconception about meditation that's all about the self, it's selfish. But it really it is actually serving the community in a profound way. Because if you can sit with yourself, you can then sit with others. If you can be patient and non-judgmental with yourself, which is very hard, you can begin to do that more deeply with others. And I think that uh, San brought up this notion that um, in, here in the West we have so many things and we have so much misery. And I think that this idea that we don't like ourselves very much gets reinforced a lot by the culture, you know, like winner, loser, mediocre, poor, A student, D student, loser. Um, you know, all of these things that we're saying to ourselves all the time are fat, skinny, beautiful, not boring, you know, 10, two, whatever. And so if you can lay down all the judgment. As you say, just observe what you're feeling. Just sit with it. Understand that. Um, 10 minutes a day, um, you can go a long way um, towards peace. Peace is what we're about here at Goshen College, healing the world piece by piece. And sometimes we have to start with ourselves. Okay, I promised to talk a little bit about the Christian tradition meditation, so I will do that now. The path of meditation, or the via contemplativa, goes back to ancient times. We really don't know what the prayer practices of the first Christians were like, but we know from the Gospels that Jesus, after he was baptized, went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We know that he often went to a mountaintop or a secluded area to pray. Silent meditation and prayer have been the hallmarks of monastic life for centuries. 
Um, you can catch a glimpse of this in the beautiful award-winning film by Philip Groening, Into Great Silence, that offers a glimpse of life at the Grand Chartreuse, a monastery in the French Alps, where monks live as silent meditation practice. The Quakers, a religious group founded in the 17th century, hold worship services of group silence or attentive listening, in which each member attunes to the still small voice within. And the Quakers have one beautiful bit of theology that's a very wonderful peacemaking theology, and that is there a little bit of God inside of everyone. And that's really all you need to live, live your life, I think. If you remember there's a little bit of God and that person that's driving you nuts or um, you know, your, your spouse or your parent, you know, they too have a little bit of the divine. You can just take a pause and remember that. They are not divine in and of themselves, but they carry that image of God within. Father Thomas Keating, William Menninger, and Basil Pennington together began what is now known as the contemplative prayer movement in the 1970s at St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts. They were inspired by reading the 14th century classic, The Cloud of Unknowing, that encouraged seekers to encounter the presence of God through the heart instead of simply through the intellect. I'll differentiate that from mind. I think San is using mind in a little different way, but that's something you could ask him about later at 4.30 when he's going to do a meditation um, uh, experience for people who are interested. Thinkers such as St. John of the Cross and Teilhard de Chardin and Thomas Merton were also influenced by the cloud of unknowing. More recent writers who have written about centering prayer and Christian contemplation are Sandra Kronk and the Episcopalian Cynthia Borgalt. My friends at Berkey Avenue Mennonite Church have also told me they practice centering prayer there. So it's come to Mennonites too. Thomas Keating views contemplation as God's therapy. Sandra Kronk talks about repatterning in the divine. When you sit quietly and let go of your preconceptions, let go of your thoughts, you have an opportunity to experience in your own being sinking beneath your false self, your ego, into something deeper, the presence of the divine with you, the presence of divine love. Meditation, centering prayer, is a kind of listening with the heart. You might think of meditation as the, as the poetry of spirituality. You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate the poetry of T.S. Eliot or Gerard Manley Hopkins. You don't have to be a Buddhist to be moved by the poetry of Thich Nhat Hanh. You don't have to be a Mennonite to enjoy a poem by Julia Kastorf or Jeff Gundy. And you don't have to be a Sufi to love the poetry of Rumi. But you will notice how each poet, like each meditator, writes out of his or her particular spiritual practice or orientation towards life. And I'm going to leave you today with a poem by Rumi. Rumi, the 13th century Sufi mystic. The Sufis were a group of people who older than Islam, but incorporated Islam, Christianity, other kinds of spiritual practices. They were known as the whirling dervishes, and they would put their hand around a pole, and they would spin around and around and around. And Rumi actually declaimed all of his poetry orally and then somebody wrote it down, one of his students. And then there's this wonderful poet named Coleman Barks who's translated it all into English. And now I think he's the most popular poet in America.
seven, eight centuries later. Love dogs. One night a man was crying, Allah, Allah. His lips grew sweet with the praising until a cynic said, so, I have heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer for that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Cotter, the guide of souls, in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I never heard anything back. This longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that once help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of the dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. Thank you. And at 4.30 today, in Newcomer 19, San will be doing um, a guided meditation and have some time for questions and uh, kind of uh, discussion. So 4.30 to 6 in Newcomer 19. <laughs>